You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, this is a special Chuvasu Paiskim two part Super Bowl special Cincinnati section, which is coming up right now which you'll hear about uh, some interesting questions, a little history of Cincinnati Jewry, and a very important historically and halachic psak that was issued by Blazer Silver, as, uh, along with also a uh, discussion about what, how you spell Cincinnati in a get, uh, which has to do with Hilchos Gitten, which I think you're going to find interesting. So that is going to be part one, and uh, we're going to do the Los Angeles will be a separate uh, It'll be a separate feed. You'll be able to hear the Los Angeles well. So this is in the pregame. This is Cincinnati part one for you. Enjoy. Shalom This is Chuvah Sopleiskim, a very special pre-Super Bowl Chuvah Sopleiskim. Now the Super Bowl this year, uh, the 56th, is the Cincinnati Bengals uh, taking on the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, Cincinnati and Los Angeles uh, are names that are significant in the history of American Judaism. Uh, Both of these cities, uh, although at different times, uh, could claim to be one of the more important areas of Jewish life. Um, Cincinnati in the 19th century was a, had the third largest Jewish community uh, in the United States in the mid-19th century. Uh, it was known as the biggest uh, Jewish community west of the Alleghenies. Uh, when Cincinnati was already having their, uh, was putting together their hospitals, uh, Jewish hospitals and Jewish philanthropy really throughout the town, and plus their own uh, different shuls and, and schoolings. Uh, Los Angeles, of course, was, a, was, was another. It was a small little uh, outpost. Uh, that of course later turned into the gigantic metropolis that it became. But Cincinnati for years was a place that Jews recognized and knew. Uh, primarily, uh, in, in our minds, of course, it was a place that because of Isaac Meyer Weiss and, and others, uh, Max Leventhal uh, became the center for Reform Judaism, of course, the Hebrew Union College. And there still is a, uh, there still is a, a beautiful as far as I have come to understand, um, reform uh, college campus. And in many ways, uh, Cincinnati became almost synonymous with the idea of what, what reform Judaism wanted. Uh, however, there was always uh, a pushback, even in the, in the mid-19th century. Um, the, uh, the Isaacs family, Rav Shachna Isaacs, and it seems like the, uh, uh, although I can't get into all the details, it seems like this definitely was a, a city that understood that they were fighting in a way for the soul of the Jewish people in some ways. Uh, Cincinnati uh, at the time, today we consider it a small market, but at the time it was considered a city that uh, was new. It, was, it, it had uh, aspirations beyond just being uh, a former a trading outpost on the Ohio River. It was considered a, a city of great uh, combination of, of some scenic beauty and 
industry and the Jews were at the forefront of this and Orthodox Jews as well. Uh, Cincinnati uh, took on a, uh, a, a completely different turn when um, they, uh, the Rov, 1931, who came there was the firebrand, uh, a brilliant, incredible personage called Rebeliezer Silver. Rebeliezer Silver. Rebeliezer Silver, oh, very well known. Uh, when I was growing up, and uh, although he died when I was about uh, seven or eight years old, uh, I had heard about him. Uh, I'd heard about him growing up and hearing him that he was the uh, the great Godel of America. Um, and this, in many ways, was true, not only because of uh, the persons who elevated him, but also for he himself. He was a person who um, came to America at a very young age after learning in, in Europe. Um, he was, I believe... Uh, when he came to America, he was born in 1882, and I think he came when he was 25. So that would be in 1907. Now, he had been by Rechaim Oizer, he had been by Rechaim Brisker, um, but he was, most of his life, despite his uh, European credentials, was spent here in the United States. Of course, he traveled, and he was a worldwide renowned figure. Uh, he, uh, in many ways, uh, as Aaron Rakefit, uh, Rothkopf Rakefit, in his, uh, in his uh, very important work called The Silver Era, which you can see here, I'm, I'm showing here, you know, um, was a, uh, uh, in ways, sort of reflective of the times and um, unique, but at the same time, he was someone that one could say was uh, uh, part of the glory age of, Amer- of the American rabbinate. And what's interesting, of course, is that as the rabbi in, in, in uh, Harrisburg and in Springfield, Mass., um, and then in uh, Cincinnati, uh, he was able to wield incredible power. He wasn't in New York. Um, he was not, but still, he uh, became, in many ways, the uh, considered the mover and shaker, uh, the power behind what was the strongest rabbinical, orthodox rabbinical uh I guess, organization. It's called the Agudas HaRabonim. Uh, today, the Agudas HaRabonim is a, is, a, is a pale shadow of what it was. Uh, but at that time, you know, it, it boasted, you know, all the, the major rabbinic figures, the Europeans who were, were going to make sure that America would not become uh, a, a, a morass, uh, a quicksand that would bury the Jews that were coming here. Um, you know, obviously, it, it was a trickle uh, before the war, but after the war, uh, the Gurus Rabbanim saw the the responsibility of World War II, the responsibility to to enhance Judaism totally, completely here in the United States. And Blazer Silver was at the forefront of these uh, of these activities. When he came to Cincinnati in 1931, uh, he took on the Reform uh, power base, and in many famous uh, incidents, uh, he was able to argue successfully. Uh, even in court for the establishment of a mikvah, uh, which was uh, it was incredible that the, the that the reform at that time uh, pushed back and didn't want to have something so primitive and ugly uh, at the same on the same street that their that their temple was. They should have a mikvah. Um, he was able to win those cases in court, and he was also able to push for the establishment um, in uh, the late forties of a Hebrew day school. 
meaning not just a school that was connected to a show, but an independent school. Uh, you know, there, again, this is something, a history that others uh, can speak about, which is how, why it took so long for the day schools to develop. And part of it was because many of these schools, you know, the, the after schools were being um, protected by the synagogues and the rabbis that were, because uh, the parents, of course, wanted their children to have some sort of Jewish education, but the rabbis did their utmost because money came in for this, and this was a way for the rabbis who were underpaid uh, to be able to uh, extend themselves and to, I guess, feel that they were teaching, and they did hire these teachers that would come in the afternoon. But the idea of having a, a, a independent school, this was something that took off uh, after, you know, after World War II outside of New York, and. Um, this was something where Blazer Silver was uh, was able to start in Cincinnati and Memphis, where I'm from. Of course, there was also another Greenblatt and others that were working to do similar things. So he started, he was the, really the power behind starting the Chafetz Chaim School, the Hebrew Day School, the Hebrew Academy of Cincinnati. So he was, uh, but was his influence went way beyond. Uh, I, I think because of the power Blazer Silver had, he wasn't just considered, oh, that Orthodox man, um, you know, the presence that he gave, he was a very handsome person in a way, or maybe someone would say handsome in an elfish sort of way. Um, and he was also, you know, his smile and uh, uh, entranced people, his smile and his energy entranced people, his humor. And because of that, people looked to him and they realized that nothing's going to happen in town without him. Well, in 19, now we get to the story, uh, to the crux. In 1961, in March 1961, um, the JCC had opened up a newer building. The old JCC actually was built right when Laser Silver came. So I guess after 25, 30 years with the amount of money that the Cincinnati Jewry had, they wanted to expand the JCC and they built a new building. And now the question was, should that JCC, that Jewish Community Center, should it be open uh, on Shabbos? Because there had been, up until this time, an idea that the JCC would close on Shabbos. That's when people would go to shul. The JCC was closed. So Rablazer Silver, and I'm going to go into exactly what was the, the, the details of his hayra, uh, allowed the JCC to be open on Shabbos. And let's start here with the reaction first that you have here on the screen. And then we're going to go backwards and see what it was that he allowed the JCC to be open and activities to happen there and how he allowed that to happen. So let's take a look here uh, at first, the response, the response from amazingly, the group that Reblazer Silver was actually on the presidium of, the Agudas Arabonim. Now he was on the presidium, but he was not necessarily the ultimate power there. As you can see here, Approximately, So do your math. So you're talking about 61 years ago. So here we go. We heard about this terrible thing that a community center is open on Shabbos. Doesn't say it's in Cincinnati, but of course everyone knew that. So even though, as you're going to find out, our Blazer Silver took tremendous um, uh, caution in terms of what he was allowing there, 
And in a sense, it's going to be hard to see Chil Shabbos Diaraisa. This uh, reaction said, no, keeping it open, just the fact that it's open is itself a Chil Shabbos Diaraisa B'Farhesia. Now, the next line of the reaction indicates that Reblazer Silver's psak didn't just shock people uh, in the rabbinic community. It opened the light for community centers throughout the United States, especially in the Midwest. Now, the reason was is because community centers had become extremely important, as Glazer and others, and Charles Liebman and others have pointed out, that in the 1950s, as Jews moved to the suburbs, uh, although the synagogues, in a way, uh, were also uh, you know, turning into these lavish, incredible buildings, um, the Jewish community centers had been there first. <laughs> they were the ones that were actually built in these areas first. Uh, some of them were built originally because uh, the country clubs and other health clubs uh, discriminated against Jews. And this was something that allowed uh, Jews to, to have some sort of uh, event to be able to be part of, uh, and it opened it up for them. But in many ways, as has been shown, those Jewish community centers were actually maintained even in a better state than definitely the city centers and some of the private clubs. Um, and, and it's still, of course, the case today that the Jewish community centers uh, have membership from uh, from all different types of, of persons from, uh, representing all different types of religions. But at that point, the Jewish community center was almost like, see, we can survive. And it was a very powerful force. Uh, classes and other things were held there. And therefore, the idea that, oh, we can be open on Shabbos oh, we're not going to outrage the Orthodox. So cities like Detroit and other places felt, well, the, the head of Orthodox Judaism in America, the head of the Agudas HaRabbanim, this famous rabbi, Reblazer Silver, who was well-known, he allowed it. So we're going to use his hira uh, to open up our uh, community centers. And the Agudas HaRabbanim resp- replies to this, and they said that any other uh, community that doesn't is Machal Shabbos, they're parts of Machal Mesatayra, and we have to do whatever we can, and anybody who doesn't stand up against this is himself guilty. So not only do we uh, do we uh, decry what Reb Silver did, and say that it should not spread, but anyone who doesn't join us in this campaign is himself guilty. And therefore, um, everyone needs to, to push this idea. And of course, this is all about keeping Shabbos. So this is what the Agudas HaRabbanim issued. Um, there, all right, so what was going on? Though? What was really going on? So I, I'm going to share with you uh, a document uh, that's an old newspaper article, which I'll show you in a second. Now, this is from the um, the Jewish Opinion uh, newspaper. It's called the Jewish Post and Opinion. And I think it was uh, in the Indiana uh, paper. It might have been, uh, I'm not sure if it, where exactly it was uh, published, probably in Indianapolis. Uh, and this seems to be like the the PO. I'm not sure what this means, but I guess it's the Post and Opinion themselves somehow had a reporter or a friend of theirs who was in Detroit. So you can see that, um, and this was July 1961. 
uh, July 21st. So as you can see here, the paper says Rabbi Silver, leader of the city's orthodoxy, endorsed Sabbath community center activities so long as they correspond to the rules. And we're going to see the rules right here. But Rabbi Silver made it clear he did so only because he had implicit trust in the center's leadership capabilities, because there were restrictions, which we're going to find out what they were in terms of no cooking, in terms of the, 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 uh, the water, uh, the water temperature of the swimming pool. Uh, the Eruv that was being set up there, uh, and therefore, uh, he says, I'm going to allow it because, first of all, I know that I can keep hold on it. But here's also the important thing. Where Blazer Silver says, I made it clear he endorsed Cincinnati Center Sabbath activity only to prevent far greater violation of traditional Sabbath observance in places away from synagogue supervision, such as beauty parlors or dance halls. Okay, now, <laughs> I guess there were still dance halls around in 1961 that people would go to and going to the beauty parlor. But I think that in, in other places where Blazer Silver actually spoke about, uh, obviously, other Saturday activities of going to the beach, of going to this open. The, the, the communal swimming pools uh, of hanging out with because there was a large uh, uh, population of, in Cincinnati that was not Shomer Torah Mitzvahs and he felt that by having the community center closed we were actually pushing them away from keeping of Shabbos and of a Jewish identity altogether and therefore since you know what was Shabbos to them you know, Shabbos meant, Rev. Laser Silver writes in another area, Shabbos meant for these non-religious Jews, everything's closed, that the rabbis close everything. So, so nothing's open. So therefore, we're not religious, so we're going to turn to other things. We're going to turn to things which might be uh, dangerous, of course, to their, to their spiritual health. Um, as you can see here, that the Detroit's Jewish leaders came to him, and they said, well, can we open up the same type of center for us on, on, on the Sabbath. So he says, look, um, he says, every rabbi and judge of Jewish law is obliged to hinder and combat the opening of any center. So on one hand, now, part of the reason why Reb Silver said this was because of the pushback. But I don't think he was being uh, duplicitous. He did say that, of course, you start off with the default mode that we don't want centers open on Shabbos, but we have to look at the community. Is Detroit the same as Cincinnati? Is the, all right. So therefore he says, Silver heard that the Detroit uh, center opened anyway, like basing themselves on him. And he says, I can't believe the disrespect and lack of respect uh, that you open it up. Um, we will not desist from our determined effort to restore a proper Sabbath observance, as he says. Now, these are the rules about how you can open a JCC on Shabbos, at least that one, at least the Cincinnati one. First of all, that there's no programming going on over there, even on Arab Shabbos. Um, as you can see, Friday, right, uh, no program shall be scheduled Friday evenings. We can't have any evenings or programs that are going to start, which is interesting, prior to 1.30. I'm not sure exactly, you know, the point is, is that uh, whatever goes on there is towards the end of the day. And I'm not sure exactly why, because he doesn't want people not going to show. In other words, 1.30 means, okay, I can go to this Cincinnati 
JCC, but not in the morning. So because if it's open, then it's going to take people away from the synagogue. All right. You couldn't drive there. Of course, now, how, as we all know, uh, this number two was the type of heter, the, the type of gvul that what, the, the parking lot was closed. Okay, there were no cars parked there, but I'm sure you know, the people who drove, and we're talking about people who would drive, they would just park down the road, but they didn't actually get there. Now, again, this you can see as uh, the Rabbana would make a case against this. Um, somebody was somehow walking around making sure that there would be no smoking or card playing or cooking. Now, could that really be enforced? Was there, uh, again, we, can, we, we know now in the day of COVID, you could probably enforce anything. But I assume that uh, <laughs> you can see why the Rabbanim felt, the Agudas Rabbanim, the other Rabbanim felt that this was sort of like empty, like, like nobody. Now, cooking is something he could control because the cooking was only done in the kitchen, so the kitchen would be closed. Of course, all the, uh, all, all the concession stands would be closed. The vending machines wouldn't be working. Um, the television and the radio would not be playing. Non-Jewish personnel would be told to turn on the lights. Um, loudspeakers, of course, like were closing, but they would have the non-Jewish, and this gets into how non-Jewish workers work for us on the Sabbath. And that, of course, is, 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 is clearly detailed in Aloha. Now, this was very interesting that the steam room he allowed to be open. Uh, you could go to the steam room. Um, you could go to the steam room. You could, and again, this seems to go against uh, the halacha about the, the gzera that the Gemara mentions in Shabbos about Balonim, but he says that, uh, you know, you can go, the Gemara does have a tzad, at least originally, although that er- eventually became usr according to the Gemara, but there was a time that you could come and, in lahaziah, you could come and get yourself farshvitzed. So, based on the original takana of Balonim, that only include actually washing your body and giving yourself a, a complete uh, rechitza, but steam might be different, although eventually that becomes ulcer as well, but he did allow it there for people to go into the steam room. Um, he did allow people to take showers, but he said hot water tanks must be preheated, meaning that, according to this, there would not be a, because um, even if a non-Jew turns it on, he felt that the non-Jew who would, uh, the fact that Jews are taking um, baths in water that is heated up for them is, 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 is improper. So they were already heated from before, and I don't know how they were kept warm, but at a heat no higher than 75 degrees, which he felt really is not called chamin. According to uh, according to what he was trying to interpret here, therefore, since it was not really bishul b'cham, it was not really chamin, so the gzera of rachitza b'chamin doesn't apply. Um, none of the like arts and crafts activities or anything would be going on. Now, here he says swimming is permitted. I have to tell you that he was sort of contradicted himself in some way. Uh, in a, uh, a Hebrew uh, letter that he wrote to the, uh, to the editors of a journal that seemed to at least uh, give him some support, uh, the Moor, he writes that he never allowed swimming. He just meant going into the pool and cooling off. Um, that seems the I, I, seems like the if, if these are indeed the official uh, 
principles that allow it, it does seem like he did allow swimming. Now, what's interesting about these bathing suits, um, he said that you can't carry your, you have to have your bathing suit um, there already, and you can't wring it out. Now, he doesn't mention here, but Rakefet mentions that in uh, his copy of these uh, of these principles that, and I thought this was, this was pretty cool, that the center supplies polyethylene bags in which the suits can be deposited or picked up after Shabbos. So this way, he said that we don't have the gzeira that Chazal are talking about, which is gzeira schita, uh, to, uh, to wring out an item, which is a, which is a, a malocha of dosh, because you're squeezing the water that was in the suit, and now you're squeezing the water out. So that could be a malocha menatora, and the chazal made a gzeir on that. So this way, your, 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 your swimming suit would be deposited in this bag, and you pick it up after Shabbos. Um, no staff member who conscientiously objects to working shall be required to do so, which means we're open, but if there is a person who's, who's a frum person, or a person who wants to keep Shabbos in any way, shape, or form, the center cannot force him and say, well, this is part of your job. Um, so, this was the, um, now, he also felt that what, that, that, um, people should come into the center and teach that it's a limited basis, but people should, the kids, although they will be in the pool and they will be playing ball. He didn't say you can't play ball. And again, this gets into another Xavier against, uh, against ball playing um, uh, that, that Chazal mentioned, but he felt that, uh, you know, we can't stop them from playing ball, but there should be classes where Rabonim, and educators come uh, to create some sort of positive Shabbos programming. And uh, as he says, it's informal, it's, it's informal athletic competition. But, you know, it indicates that there was ball playing, but it wasn't going to be like a league or something like that. Um, but there would be classes discussing Jewish life, games, songs, dances, themes develop around certain holidays, the study of history, symbols and pictures. Um, so this is what he hoped. Now, he actually writes in his letter, of Silver, that he feels that it should, that he's doing a mitzvah in, in bringing these children there uh, and, and adults, because he's actually telling them that Shabbos could be something positive. It's just not negative. However, in his Hebrew uh, explanation of why he did this, he said he doesn't want a non uh, children who come from Orthodox homes to go. <laughs> and this is only for, and, and again, it, 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 I would say that his uh, explanation rung somewhat hollow. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the, the line of demarcation between children is, especially in places like Cincinnati, is not that strong. Uh, many of the non-religious families were going, were sending their kids to the same day schools that the religious families were. And if their friends are going to the center, then the, I would assume that would be a reason for the Orthodox children, the kids that are technically Orthodox, would also be going to the center. So Rev Silver saying that he only means it for certain people, I think that's an argument that's very, very hard to sustain. But this is 
this is what his point was. Of course, he was writing to different audiences. Uh, in this in this article, he you know he he wanted to come out strong for 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 Sabbath without getting into the nitty gritty details. In other places, as he sort of walks himself back, uh, he says this was a a, a and I think this psak needs to be looked at. It is in a way uh, quite unusual um, in terms of we need to allow this otherwise we are going to talk about a generation that we're going to lose. And this, especially, I guess, in Cincinnati, where there was still you know, this battle between uh, the Reform and the Orthodox, that he felt this was something that, that had to be done. Um, now, that is, uh, again, I, I can read to you Reb Silver's own words, and I think I, sh- I, I owe it to Reb Silver to read some of the words that he wrote in Loshana Kodesh. first thing I'm going to read for you is sort of a paraphrase of what the Blazer Silver told Mayor Amzel, uh, the editor of the Torah journal Hamor. Uh, okay. So he says that um, obviously uh, the JCC is so popular. The swimming pool is the center. Uh, from the swimming pool, which everybody loves to swim at that time, then you have everything else that's around it. But, of course, he says, anyone who's a bent over would not want to you know, spend their hours and times over there. But we have to realize that the, our, the, many of the children come from non-religious homes. They don't know anything about Judaism because they aren't going to those schools. Again, I, I, you know, I question that a little bit. But he said, That is the source for what they know about Judaism. So, on Shabbat, on Shabbos, if that place is closed, the swimming pools and beaches of the city. We know what's on sale there, right? All the corn dogs and everything else that you can get um, and other non-kosher items. And of course, they become friendly with the, with the girls that are there. And he says that is, of course, that's what leads to intermarriage. Now, um, the Hector is only for Cincinnati. And here he says, How you could enforce this would, I think, be impossible. It's only like you have like a little, uh, instead of a yellow star, I guess you have, I don't know, some sort of other badge that says, I'm one of the, I'm proudly uh, an assimilationist boy or girl. Uh, okay, I thought it was interesting about the Arab, as you can see. There's an Arab around the building. Um, and, and he says again, you are allowed to play ball there and within the Arab. Um, as you can see. Now, he also wrote, now, um, what people wanted him to do was to step back from the Hector. Uh, it was already a scandal that his own institution wanted him, uh, wanted him, you know, he had done this terrible thing, so to speak. Uh, and that it was leading to other uh, communities doing the same thing. So there was a call on Reblazer Silver to um, take back his Hector. 
Um, now, Rev Silver uh, took the, he was not happy with this because it was his own group that was asking him to do that. And there was also a threat to remove him from the presidium of the Agudas Arabona because of that. So he, again, and I, I think this is Reblazer Silver's own words, although they were paraphrased. He says, by my heter, not only am I stopping intermarriage, but the fact that when they come into the JCC on Saturday, the rules are so different, they'll know what Shabbos means. In other words, these rules, although they seem to be ticky-tack, will penetrate into the minds of these children. And they'll realize, not only are they having positive things on the Shabbos, which, you know, whether it's the basketball or the swimming or the classes, but the, the fact that they know things are different, that itself is a mechanism to teach the ideas of Hilcha Shabbos. I thought that was a, a little twist, which I think is a very important point. Now, as I said, he was, they tried, you know, although originally, of course, they came out with this Hiram and, 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 and really embarrassed him. And there were other uh, editorials where people uh, accused him of, you know, of, of being a loose cannon, as my friend Benny says, and somebody who, uh, uh, you know, would just, you know, trample on things without consulting with others, not realizing uh, the result of a uh, heter like this, uh, that he was already getting old and not recognizing that uh, a new sort of orthodoxy was asserting itself. All those things were pressuring him. Um, and he, like a lion, dug his heels in, but he sort of mentions the fact that it wasn't just him, but, you know, he always, in a way, wanted to cover himself in some ways. As you can see, he says, I've gotten your letters, Manal Mikhtovov, Achronim. And I got your letters about from the other people in the Aguda that I should, I should take this Hector back. I happen to be in Cincinnati now. Who's visiting me? The Ponovich Yerov, Rabbi Yosef Kahanaman. Aha. And he is, um, he is the, uh, he's here. And I'll tell you, I spoke to him about it. And whatever I answer you is with his Haskama. <laughs> so in other words, if I'm not good enough, if I'm not good enough, uh, the Ponovich Yerov is here. Rabbi Yosef Kahanaman is here. So he says, I cannot, I cannot agree to take my psak back. As he wrote before, I can't do that. He says, if I do that, I will be the Messiah day over Yavir, both and Gas. And I am going to be guilty if I take my heter back, Shabbos and Kashras, because they are going to eat treif, because they are going to become less, even less religious than they are now. I will be responsible for that. And I can't allow that to happen. And he says, there's another reason I can't do that. Because if I do it, my own honor 
will be denigrated. Basically, all this is about is putting me down. And I can't do that either. I can't allow myself to, to bow in disgrace because this is also a way that really combats my honor and everything I've been trying to do. And he says, I've told everybody not, I've told other centers not to open. I've told them. Um, in fact, he says that He says, I'm willing to come and check your center out and I can decide and we can talk about it. And here, of course, I think over here, there's something going on uh, where he says, I never said you can swim. You can see in that other article, perhaps there was some miscommunication. I don't know if his uh, mastery of English was perfect. I think it was pretty good. But but I think here was, uh, he says, I didn't allow them to swim. Just to get just to get cold off, um, and again he says it's like going to the mikvah. The same way we allow people to go to the mikvah because it looks like it, it's there's no xeris rechitza uh, because it just looks like you're cooling off. So I said you can't swim. Now obviously this was the type of thing that it was impossible to uh, a lifeguard or anyone would be impossible to uh, to uh, be a mashkiach on that. Okay. So that is, and then of course he explains how how much he fought for Shabbos um, and how he has been really a force for Frumkite uh, and that all of this is, uh, and he says that uh, he, told, he, he told this to Rav Kahneman, all the lies that are saying, and Rav Kahneman was duly shocked. So whether this, again, to schlep Rav Kahneman into this, uh, it would be, uh, I think, totally way beyond uh, correct. But this is where Blazer Silver and this Psaac, and I think it's very important halachically and historically. The second Cincinnati Chuba also is connected to Blazer Silver, and I'll show that to you right now. So this has to do with um, how you write Cincinnati. <laughs> how do you write Cincinnati? So uh, I'm very much indebted to uh, someone who I am, uh, I have really the schuss, I think, to call um, a friend, uh, someone I, I turn to quite a bit, Rav Mendel Sanderovich, who is the Av Bezdin in Milwaukee. And um, he, in his Sefer, um, Atzib Samim, he has uh, all about spelling different cities in a get. So I want to show you what he writes here about Cincinnati. Now we know Cincinnati in English is spelled C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I. Two N's. Cincinnati. Cincinnati, right? The N is emphasized. There's a dogish in the N. Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati. So when you write a get, uh, it has to be a star of the highest uh, level. It has to be a star that clearly uh, indicates that this woman is really a woman who is no longer married and she could, based on this, get get remarried. We're worried about what it means to be an Eishazish 
and not to be Matar and Mamzer. So there's a lot of kbedas of how it get, needs to be written. The, the, the details seem almost beyond ken of someone who doesn't understand about Ilchaz Gita. But it has to be very exact. Where the get was given, is it really true? Especially a woman who was known to be a married woman. So we need to have the details so clear. And we know there are cities, you know, there are places um, that, that sound the same. So things have to be very exact where the place is, what river it's near, because cities had the same names, but their water source was different. So therefore you needed to write that. So Sandorovich says you should write Cincinnati, Masa de Asfalnar, Ohio. But he also feels you should mention the May Be'eros. And this is interesting why he feels that. That really gets into another discussion. Do you need to mention the springs of the town. Well, the river is important. Not only does it tell you where the city is, but it also the river was the place that water, the water supply comes from. So it, it's a way of determining the city, but also talking about how, you know, what the life force of the city is, whether you have to write May Be'eros or not. There's another question, obviously, Rav, um, Rav Sandorovich feels you should, but what about the name Cincinnati? So where did he get one noon from? He talked to Miget Pturin that Rablazer Silver was Masader in Tovshin Chavov. So I have to tell you, I asked Sender Ravich about this last night. Rablazer Silver died in 1968. At that time, um, at that time, uh, he was. Like at the end of the, again, he was still uh, again. He was he was eighty two, I believe, when he was born. Nine, he was born in um, born in eighteen eighty two, and he died in nineteen sixty eight. So you do the math. So that is eighty two years old. So this was a get that he was Masada at eighty. Now, Sender Ravish told me that he had to really it, it, the the letters were clearly touching each other and other things like this, which are problems in Ishtar. <laughs> but the get was written with only one nun. Um, however, there was a, uh, when Rav Hankin died, there was a, again, from his offices, there was a box that indicated for Rabonim after him how to write the names of cities, whether it was Hankin's Psak himself. But over there, Rafsandar Rabbich found out that it was printed as Cincinnati with two nuns, the way it's written in English. Now, this really gets into a question about how a get needs to be written. Uh, the Rabdavid the, C. Hoffman and the Trubus Malam in La Hoyo explains that. Um, and he talks about the city of Brussels, and he talks about whether uh, Brussels needs to be written with two samachs or not. Brussels, it's not Brussels, it's Brussels, and you can hear the two S's. The, the problem is, and really what this is about, what this is really about is, um, how do people say it? And who are the, so Rav Zotzi often has this chiddush. He says that the reason why many Gitten um, were written uh, in, in, in Europe without the double, even though in, 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 the, in the German 
tongue, it's clear that the, the word needs to be emphasized is because the Jews who came there originally used Lashon HaKodesh. And in Lashon HaKodesh, there was, there was enough in elasticity in the letters to imply, if you put a dogesh, a dot in that, that this was a, a, a letter that needed to be emphasized. So therefore, Brussels didn't need two samachs. However, Abdelzi often says, as the Jews became more uh, connected to the language and were able to write in that language and speak that language, so then the way people speak about that city is more in the German, or in this case, the American style. And therefore, that becomes the way the city is referred to. So if the city is referred to, just like, a, as we know in Ilchos Gitten, if a, if a woman is called something, the miskiri, or right, you need to put that into the get. So Cincinnati, since eventually, and clearly Cincinnati was a place where many people spoke English, uh, they, would, they would say the word, they would say the city as it was written in English with the double N's, meaning this sort of emphasis. And in that way, Rav Henkin, whether he was involved in this, I think has a very strong case to say whether you might have to write both or perhaps even that becomes primary, especially in a place like Cincinnati, that, again, as they became less, as they became more connected to the general communities, that would be Cincinnati. So as I said, what are you hearing? You know, and I guess it really depends. This, of course, has a Los Angeles connection. This is a, a little bit of a, of a bridge to Los Angeles, where... Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.